0: Welcome to a special edition of The Advance. According to recent reports, the human trafficking industry has more than doubled since 2009, becoming the world's second most profitable criminal enterprise after drug trafficking. Valued to be an estimated $32 billion a year global industry, sex trafficking takes place in every community. Closer to home, Kansas City is number two among ten metropolitan cities in the U.S as a hub for domestic minor sex trafficking. Earlier this year, we became involved with Hear Their Voices, an organization that promotes awareness in communities through events aimed at ending human sex trafficking. One of our main partners is Veronica's Voice, a safe home for survivors of the industry in the Kansas City area. The organization's founder, Christy Childs, is herself a survivor and frequently gives talks nationwide advocating for a system that better recognizes the needs of survivors. Outlook met with Iwana Bernard, event coordinator for Hear the Voices, and sat down with Christy at the safe home to talk about her journey in and out of what those in the know call the life and her efforts combating the domestic sex industry.
1: So I'm really happy to be here with you today. I would like for you to uh, tell everyone um, who you are. Um, My name is Christy Childs and I found Veronica's Voice so I uh, am the founder of Veronica's Voice which is the voice of the sexually exploited. And can you tell us just about your story? Sure. Um, I started running away from an abusive home environment um, and by the age of 12 I had started um, I recognized that in the town I was from to really escape it I was going to have to get out of that town so I started hitchhiking and ended up in Denver Colorado but initially my prostitution started with truck drivers I had no idea it was prostitution I was just wanting to eat an escape so they were giving me rides and uh, feeding me and made me feel obligated to perform sex acts um, in return so that's initially where it started so from the age of 12 to 36 I was trapped in that life well the name um, in 1988 I came back to Kansas City so I've been all over And I came back here to be closer to my own family, Um, even though they're not from Kansas City, but it was the city closest. Um, I ended up pregnant and I went to abort my son because I was just so panicked that I couldn't have a kid. I mean, I was like suicidal at this time. I just wanted to check out of the world because I couldn't find my way out. And I had been seeking a way out for several years, but I was just so depressed and, uh, and I was using drugs to cope with my reality. And I ended up leaving and I couldn't go through with the abortion. And so I started to lose him. I thought I was having a miscarriage. And so I went to the emergency room and there they did a, a, uh, The jail and the ultrasound. Yeah. They wanted to see if there was a heartbeat. And it was right in that moment, my miracle happened. And God just spoke into my spirit and said, have this baby. I'm bringing you out of this. You're going to find your way. Immediately, the depression was gone. There was hope. There was a light. I just needed to follow that light and trust in it. And my drug addiction was gone. My son's 24. I've never even been to drug counseling or or recovery or anything. And God just took it from me. Um, what didn't happen for me was God didn't rain money down in the emergency room and say, now go pay your bills, right? So I still had to pay bills and survive. So what happened for me was I, I saw the light and I saw the way and God just provided me different steps and I recognized, oh, this is what I need to do. This is where I need to go and followed those things. I just said, yes, you know, and through that, I did eventually find my way completely out. And um, so I worked on a huge risk reduction and which was I got off the streets. I started working one day a week. I was working with another girl. And when I say working, it was prostituting myself. I had, um, I mean, I was not with a pimp at this time. I had totally broken my dependency. And this little girl, she just keeps running after me. and She's out on the streets herself. She keeps telling me, you know, all about herself and this and that. She just, I, and I don't want to get involved because I know she's a kid. I know what she's doing and I took a beating in Alaska for helping a, a young girl escape her pimp and uh, uh, get back to her family. A literal beating? Yes, um, so because I picked her up right off the corner. Um, I already knew she was asking me for help. She wanted to get back home. I knew the pimp she was with and I, I got the money for her a plane ticket. I swooped down in the car and picked her up right in front of her sister her wife-in-law and so of course it was known at that point who took her and I got her home and so yeah I yeah I didn't want to you know that's why I was leery you know so anyway this was Veronica and she's oh gosh she's like four foot eleven little blonde just yip 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 just talk of life just you know and I'm like oh kid please (laughs) you know like oh I can't do this and then she said some things that made me go, oh, my gosh, this is me all over again. And I connected immediately. And so from there, we became very tight. I was kind of like a mother-sister kind of version for her. And I saw her as my younger daughter or, or um, sister. And so I taught her everything I knew you know, what to watch for, this, that, I didn't exploit her. It wasn't like I was getting paid for this. I wanted her to know, you're out here. This is the best way to do this, you know. And unfortunately, that was all I knew at the time. Um, ultimately, prostitution led to her murder. And in 1993, she was found in Penn Valley Park. She had been strangled. Yeah. And uh, she had just turned 21. And so I carry that in my heart. Um, I was in a place, my son was four months old. I was in a place where I had the hope and was moving forward. And I knew she would follow right behind me. And that didn't get to happen. So, um, so that was a burden for me uh, to, uh, to know that she didn't get that opportunity. So I named it after her and to honor her, to have her story, to stay alive for people to know more. She was more than just, just like all these ladies, a lot of them are found dead or whatever happens to them. And they're just written up as a prostitute found dead. That's what they're doing. It's not who they are. And so I started recognizing that in my own recovery and Uh, try to help ladies separate that from, it's not who they are, and and so that's where the name comes from, to honor Veronica April Neverdusky, and yes, and she will always be in my heart and my mind. My story is one that is totally a God thing, and I know that my story doesn't happen this way for everyone. I was going to school. So it was like this plan that seemed so simple now in retrospect was like so difficult to find. And I think it was so difficult because I didn't think I could do it. And so you know, I had to start it from like the basics. I had to go get my GED. And they were like, your scores are really high. You need to go to college. And I just cried all the way home because I had been told I was stupid for so long that I just kind of believed it. And I believed that this was really all I was made to do to survive. And so, just knowing that there were lies that I believed in lies and starting to break those down. And eventually, um, I well, I got a job and um, I was in the projects with my son. And I mean, I utilized everything the system had to offer because I was like, if I qualify for it, I'm getting it. But I was terrified. I was terrified if they found out who I was and what I was, they would throw me out. And I just kept to myself because I couldn't let anyone know, you know, where I had come from. And so I went, I, my first job was at the Chamber of Commerce. And I worked there for two years. And I called Sister Linda Roth from El Centro, who was actually one of my teachers in the program. She was the director of Keyboards to Success, which taught me typing, computer skills, and all these things. And I said, hey, I, I'm ready to update my resume. Can I come in? And she said, let's have lunch. So we met for lunch, and she offered me a job to work for her as um, a case manager. So I went there, and I worked for her, and it was one day, we another day we had lunch. And I just said, I want you to know who I am and where I've come from and what your program did for me. Because what it did was, I mean, it was a very nurturing environment that – worked with me to help me succeed and gave me the job skills that I needed to be marketable, to do something different. And so, um, after I told her that I just laid my heart out to her and said, I know there's other women and girls out there that are suffering and my life is good because I experienced something that that woke me up to it. And it's not that it woke me up to it in such a sense that I didn't have it in the back of my mind. It was happening to others, but I had like, which this is so crazy sounding. I think it was a vision, but I thought it was a commercial, but I've never seen it before. And I've never seen it since. And I watched this girl get slapped. She runs out of a house. She's on a dirt road. She runs to a pay phone, like a booth pay phone, which we don't even have those anymore. And she's standing in the booth and she picks up the phone and she has no one to call. And the next thing you know, she's laying on this park bench and it's a girl, she's young. And she looks over and there's two working girls leaning into a trick's car, talking to him. And they turn around and they make eye contact with this girl. And I thought, this is still happening. Just because I'm good, there's still people hurting. This is still happening. And so I just told sister, you know, I want to help this particular population. So I don't know, a couple weeks later, she walks by my desk and she goes, hey, you're going to get a call about a job. Well, I'm thinking. I work for you. I know. I work for you. What is really going on? So she won't tell me anything. So I ended up um, getting the phone call. And it's like a couple weeks later. So like I'm working going, what's going on? And she's like, I'm not telling you anything. (laughs) So I get the phone call. And the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth was giving me $25,000 to start an organization to help prostituted people. And so like... How does that happen? Right? I mean, you know, and so I just started from my living room, dining room area, just putting together gift bags and asking people for toiletries and things I could put in these bags with our crisis line number on it. And I just hit the streets and started meeting with the ladies. We were initially called Veronica's Ministry. And when I said I'm with Veronica's Ministry, blah, 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 they started putting the mask on. And it became, well, God bless you. Thank you for the bag. I'm just the church lady, right? So I was like, yeah, this is not going to work. I need authenticness. I don't care if they cuss me out. You know, whatever their deal is, I want them to be real and authentic. And I want them to know I'm you. I'm you. Yeah. And so we changed it to Veronica's voice. And, um. And so, so it grew from there to meet getting meeting space at different locations where we would have different groups. And then we just grew into a safe center. Oh, at the safe center, we did case management, um, with girls with just specific girls that were committed to the process. Uh, we worked on risk reduction with everyone. So risk reduction is if you're on the streets And because we worked with a lot of street ladies, we did have girls coming that were like court ordered from um, different courts that were arrested for online activity because the streets online is now the new streets, you know? So what happens? And I'm going to tell you where my heart is. My heart's in the streets. These are the ladies who have been through the most. They are on their last leg. They are so drug addicted. They are so They are in the darkest of darkness. And that's where, that's where my heart is. And so we would work with them on risk reduction. If they weren't using condoms, love yourself enough. Just hold on long enough and just trust us because we love you enough. We want you to at least protect yourself. Um, If you're getting high while you're working and we would make contracts you know, where they would, yes, I will do this. Yes, I will do this. Um, If you're getting high while you're working, don't do that. You're putting yourself in a more vulnerable position. You're more apt to take less money because, and you're more apt to go with someone who your gut says don't go with. Yeah. So we worked with them on those kind of things. And I mean, and so it could start with the bare minimum of just using a condom, but it could go all the way up to, now you're in a position where you're only working once a week, like I was. So you know, work with another female, you know, and do other and have whatever their their goals are. So they would work on those goals, and so as they move forward in that, that would become more of a case managed type thing. Uh, we had different groups, so we would have girls come in straight off the streets in bad situations. Uh, we've had girls show up there bleeding after being beaten that just wanted to rest, vent, um, process what had happened. Maybe they wanted to go to the police. Maybe they didn't. A lot of these women have learned not to trust the police and um, because of how other situations have been handled with them. So we were just the safe center, and this was a place they could come to for whatever their needs were. And so we offered different different groups. So we had yoga, we had um, our unhooked group, which is something that we offer in the house now. So we would do the unhooked group, which is a 12-week group. And that was something that I created to work with the ladies, just to kind of open their eyes to different things and move them forward in their process. We couldn't get into real deep trauma healing because Unfortunately, at the end of the day, we had to say goodbye and they had to go back to whatever their situation was. It became heartbreaking because working with other transitional living places wasn't working for us. They weren't, it wasn't working for our girls. Working with the uh, domestic violence center that gave us beds, working with the homeless shelter that gave us beds, it wasn't enough. It wasn't what they needed, and so um, trial and error, we just basically said, this isn't working. And so, um, you know, we just started phasing out the safe center, but all along I knew we needed a home. We needed a home, and time of running that safe center proved me right because there was other agencies we utilized and partnered with that were doing um, transitional living. But the problem was, like, in 30 days, they had to pay rent. And these are women who don't have marketable skills. And so they're under pressure of, I've got to work. They don't see hope in going and flipping a burger somewhere for maybe less than minimum wage, maybe minimum wage. It's not a livable... I mean, it's not a livable wage. And so there's no hope in that. So my thing became... We have to get this home. We have to get this home. We got a home in Missouri. Unfortunately, we weren't welcome there, so we came to the Kansas side, met with the chief of police, met with the sheriff, um, you know, and we got really good feedback from them. And we, you know, was we were told if we needed any help to help navigate the neighborhood, um, that they would they would send their their you know officer to do that. And so we were like, this is this is it. So I looked and looked and looked for a house. We phased out our safe center, where at the safe center, we were seeing over like 500 women a year. It became that busy. And moved the administrative offices to my, my home in the basement, and so I have offices there where we do administrative type things. Um, and then we looked and looked and looked. And the funny thing was, we put a bid down on a house because I was like, it's been months, we've looked, we haven't found anything, this house will work, but it needs a lot of work, and if we can get it dirt cheap, we'll pour the money into it. Mm -hmm. But I kept looking on that MLS, MSL, whatever that list is online, and then uh, that night, this house came up, Mm -hmm. and I called my agent, and I said, look, I want to see this house, and she said, but you got a bid on another house. I said, I know, but I want to see this one, So I pulled up outside and I thought, oh, this house is too small. And the minute I walked in and I saw the great room and I saw the size, I was like, this is it. This is the house. Well, she informed me that they had counterbid me, which means I'm out of that. Anyway. Yes. And I said, what's their asking price on this? And I said, give it to them. We're in. We are in. And so we paid in full for this house God was good to us. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So we now are open and we are so excited to, to bring the ladies in and offer them this home. And Magdalene KC is the name of this program. So they can, they can get their healing, their marketable skills. We really want them ready to launch when they leave here. We want them in a good place. And we want to create that community around them to continue that support. And the more girls we come in, uh, you know, that start coming through the program, continue that giving back community type style. We want the community at large to embrace us because without the community, we're not gonna make it. And this, these are women in the community and we want people to embrace them and these women to embrace them right. because they're just women, just like other women, you know, they yeah. just have had a bad lot thrown to them early in life. And so, you know, we want to bridge that and build those relationships. We, uh, we just want to welcome the community into our circle. Not I can't say everything we do is coming from, but what we're modeling is we're modeling Magdalene out of Tennessee, and so our goal is also to start a social enterprise where the women, especially the ones with felonies, can work, build a, um, a resume, and get those kind of job ethics going, and, uh, but also making a product. We don't want to copy what they've done, you know, because we want to do our own thing. You know, they're doing candles and body butters and this and that. And we're like, yeah, the market's like saturated with that. So I have my own ideas. I don't want to share right now. But I definitely, you know, we're looking for people to come alongside us to help build the committee where we're doing the research on these ideas to see how marketable they are. And to see, you know, how we could get a business plan in place to do that. So we're modeling, like I said, after Magdalene in Tennessee, the Thistle Farms. Um, and their model really is housing first. You know, housing first. Mm-hmm. People cannot, when you're in a war zone, you your mind is pinging so many different directions. And that's how these girls are. They have to feel safe and they have to start healing. And once they heal, and I mean, these are ladies that, I mean, they're sharp. Yeah. They are sharp. And they have talents. I mean, I, we've seen so many ladies like come at the safe center that could sing, that could do artwork, that could write poetry and just and just writing. Period. And you're like, my mind is blown. Like these ladies have really skills, and they need to be put to use, and so uh, in a better way, you know. And to, I know. And they're I love the ladies. They're so. nice. No- they're so awesome. You know, I might get angry sometimes because I see where their hiccup is and that uh, they're stuck and I got to help push them through that stuckness. So, but it's really my honor to be able to see what needs to happen and be able to help them to do that. Yeah. You know? People have a concept of how it happens that mm-hmm. people just always just get snatched up right taken off. The reality uh, is, they're generally groomed. It's a process. They're brought in because this person understands their situation and all their woes. And, you know, and they can relate to them in such a way that, like, I get it. And, you know, and you're like a star. You should, I could make you this and that, and we could do this. And and it's a, they're romeo into it into a love with this person. These girls think they are in love with their pimp. And in all actuality, they are. And that's the bottom line. And and until they are ready, I'm not saying he's in love with them because his objective is to to get money. Right. 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 But her thing is she's in love with him and she believes he's in love with her. And so, you know, girls will do crazy things for love, you know? And depending on their situation, their vulnerabilities are, you know, because young girls, I think, in general, are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But then there are some with added vulnerabilities. You know, when you start talking about a bad home life, um, poverty, mm-hmm. uh, abuse, mm-hmm. you know, it, these things all play a hand in this. And so, you know, they're romeo into it. And so it's... Um, that's the general and most common way that this happens. It's to be a slippery slope. Right. Once they're in the life, then what can happen is there is kidnapping that happens. So you're out of pocket. You get under pimp arrest by another pimp. You know, there's all these different things that can happen. So it's it's different when once you're in the life, you're known to be in the life. Then those kind of things can happen to you. I mean, the movie Taken. You know, it's like... <laughs> Like that doesn't happen, you know, and nobody's dad is Superman. And, you know, it's like, that's a movie, Pretty Woman. That's not what time it is. We have young girls that see that movie, you know, that think that's, oh, this would be an easy way. And I'll meet Prince Charming and he's going to be rich and good looking. And no, that's not what this looks like. So we have these ideas that are out there that are false and they're myths. And then we have people that continue to throw different things out there that don't know what they're talking about. I actually have stopped doing education because I'm up against a monster doing education on this issue because we have the Department of Justice that says it's this way because if you sat down with someone from the Department of Justice to hear what it is and you sat down with me or another survivor, you're gonna be like, wow, I just heard two different, completely different things. My struggle has been more of the overall trafficking movement and so many people that aren't really qualified um, to do certain things. They're qualified to do other things, uh, want to do things that they're not qualified for. Um, and also the, the whole movement itself is geared towards prosecution And it has made me crazy, like it makes my blood boil, because what is happening is, no, girls aren't being arrested for prostitution anymore. They're being arrested for trafficking, and they're going to prison, not to jail. And I'm talking about young girls. So what they do is they wait till they turn 18. So now they're an adult. And if they don't flip on their pimp, then they will, they threaten with prosecuting trafficking charges on them, which carries prison time. And so some of the girls are so scared, they won't do it. Some of them think they're in love with them. They won't do it. And some of them do it and puts their lives in danger because that's when it becomes dangerous. Pimps aren't chasing, they're just replacing. And we have everybody out here terrified that pimps are driving around, throwing kids in the back of vans, and going and prostituting them somewhere. That's not how it works, not here in the USA. There may be very few cases of that. Um, So pimps probably got two or three already lined up that, that they're ready to replace, because they're always recruiting. So they are not going after and risking taking a fall, a prison term to go after someone who ran off. Now, if she calls, they might try to talk her back. Okay. But everyone's so terrified that this is what's happening. And a pimp is, um, you know, look, I'm not saying it's okay to exploit people because it's not. But we And our focus should be on the victims and their care and not on prosecution and especially not re-victimizing and prosecuting victims. And sometimes victims can have bad attitudes because they've been through a lot in life. And so we have people that have never experienced the types of situations and choices that people down here have had to face right so these are people that have never had to to be in those situations and so but they're trying to make all the laws and make all the decisions of what should happen to these people instead of letting people who understand this or people of compassion that can help with this do that work all the funds are going towards prosecution and the laws are being twisted and they are not in line with the way this needs to work. But definitely, you know, we need to handle it more like DV. whereas you call a domestic violence hotline. They don't say, are you prosecuting your abuser? Well, if you're not, we can't help you. And that's really what the government is saying to people who are trafficked. Are you prosecuting your offender, your exploiter, well, we, we can't help you because we're all about prosecution. Yes, we need allies, but we need allies to really come alongside us. And our thing at Bronca's Voice is, if someone is being exploited by someone else, if someone is exploiting themselves, it doesn't matter. We don't care how it is happening. If it is happening and they want out, they deserve the opportunity. To get out.
0: Thank you for listening to The Advance. If you want to learn more or get involved, please don't forget to visit www.heartheirvoices.org. Once again, that is heartheirvoices.org. Please join us next time.